So have you ever heard of the Millennium Falcon? It's the ship that did the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. At least that's what Han Solo said. Uh, Bless his heart, though, somebody has noted that the captain made a serious wookie, I'm sorry, rookie mistake when he said a parsec because a parsec is a measure of distance, not time. Now, how do I know that? Well, because this week I got my fix of astrophysics from space.com, watching some little video episodes called We Don't Planet. P-L-A-N-E-T, little play on words there. Paul and Anna host this little video series, and they talk about a, a lot of different things. They, they, they live up to the billing of the title, though, because it's not scripted. It's not really planned. Uh, it's kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing. And so they talk about space, and they talk about all the things of the, of the cosmos, and, and they do it on this huge transparent marker board, and they draw these little helpful diagrams as they go about explaining now, a couple of weeks ago, episode six was on different kinds of orbits, and they talked about these different kinds of orbits. So what is an orbit? Well, NASA.gov defines it this way. An orbit is a regular repeating path that one object in space takes around another. So one object in space repeating a path around another one. So what kind of objects are we talking about? Well, NASA goes on to define the object in orbit as a satellite. So what kind of satellites do we have? Well, we have natural satellites, and then we have man-made satellites. Natural satellites might be the Earth or, or the Moon. A man-made satellite might be a space shuttle or the International Space Station. And the article in NASA goes on to describe the tug of war that happens between the satellite and the main object. You see, the, the satellite wants to, to go its own way sometimes. It wants to pull away from the gravitational pull of the orbit. It wants to do its own path. And the, the main object is pulling it with that gravitational pull, tugging back at it to keep it in path. So there is this tug of war happening between the two. Paul and Anna over at We Don't Planet, they talked about the different kinds of these orbits, these different kinds of tug of war, so to speak. For example, they explained that if the Ellipticity of an orbit is zero, it's a circular orbit. If it's between zero and one, it's a standard ellipse. If it's one, it's a parabolic orbit. And if it's greater than one, then it's a hyperbolic orbit. Now, I know you already know all that, and you talk about that at breakfast over coffee every day. I get it. But, but here's the thing. There, there's something interesting about all these different kinds of orbit, and that's this. Different orbits are not just in space. What are you orbiting right now in your life? What has the greatest gravitational pull in your life right now? What is it that's defining how you think and how you act, how you behave, how you work, how you play even? What is it that's defining your life? What is your orbit right now? And does it matter what you're orbiting? Does, does it really matter one way or the other? Well, let's find out. Listen to Psalm 23. Verse 3, King David says, The Lord is my shepherd. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Sheep are going to stray from the right path. They're going to stray away from their shepherd. They're going to try to get out of orbit. They're going to try to tug away from the gravitational pull 
of the one who is meeting their needs and protecting them. It's a good thing we're not like sheep, right? I mean, we never tug away, right? We don't tug away from our father's leadership. We don't tug away from our mother's advice. We don't tug away from accountability from our friends. We don't tug away from activity at church. We don't tug away from reading the Bible and praying, right? I mean, that's, that's not us. Those things never happen, right? Well, if we're honest, when it comes to that kind of tug of war, we're all like Olympic gold medalists. I mean, we're really good at that kind of tug. So why do we do it? Why do, we, why do we tug away? Why do we stray away? Why do we try to tug away from the right orbit? Well, it may be for some that they're not even in the right orbit to begin with. It was winter. It was a big celebration, big worship time in Jerusalem known as the Feast of Dedication. And there were some very religious people at that celebration, and they approached Jesus and very bluntly said to Jesus, So is this some kind of guessing game? Mary, are you just messing with us? Are you just playing with us? Just, just go ahead and tell us right now. Are you the Messiah or are you not the Messiah? And this is how Jesus responded to them. I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They weren't in the right orbit. They didn't recognize the voice of the Messiah. Before we moved here, when our kids were a lot younger, on Sunday nights we would take our kids to church near the house. Uh, they had a, a kids program called uh, Awana. And at the end of Awana every night, they have all ages, all the kids would come back together in the gym, and they'd have like maybe two or three minutes of just kind of like free time where they're just running around. It was just crazy. And so when you were a parent and you came to pick up your kids about that time, you walked through the little double doors, and, and Miss Pam would be standing there holding a microphone. And over all of this loud hoopla, Miss Pam would say the last name of the family, and, and the kids would come over to the door. So, you know, she'd say, Welsh kids, you know, your mom and dad are here. Now, most of the time, Karen went to the door to pick them up, but, but I remember the first time I went to the door to pick them up, I was standing next to our friend, Aces Wernikowski. And so Miss Pam grabs the mic and she says, Z-Boys, your mom's here. <laughs> and I loved it because I knew Miss Pam was just trying to make sure that she didn't mispronounce Zwernikowski on the microphone over the big speakers. But I also knew that every Sunday night, how cool was it that the Zwernikowski boys sounded like superheroes all over the gym. The Z-Boys, your mom's here. They had to love that. I loved it. And I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. In ancient times, all the flocks might actually stay in the same hotel. All the sheep would be in the same hotel. Different flocks at different times, they'd all be in, in one big hotel. Now, the, the sheep hotel in those days was not on the screen. Man, my picture disappeared. That's okay. If you could see that, it's this, I'll describe it, it's really cool. The Sheep Hotel back in those days was like a big round area, big rectangular area, and it had a wall made of loosely stacked stones that just kind of stood up, and it kind of kept everything in a safe place. And there was one little gate. And so all those flocks would go in there at night, and, and then the next day, when the shepherd came back, he would come and, and he would call out his sheep. 
He had some special call, or, or he had a whistle, or he had something that he did. And when he did that, even though there were all these different flocks at the hotel, only his flock would make their way to the gate. So let's just imagine that the shepherd and his little cool saying was, come on, Z-boys. And so the shepherd comes up to the gate, and he goes, come on, Z-boys. And all of his sheep, only his sheep, would start making their way to the gate. But imagine another shepherd was hanging around and, and knew that that was his call. And so that shepherd goes up to the gate and tries to mess with the other shepherd, so he decides to call his sheep. And so he goes up and he says, come on, Z-boys. And those sheep, they, they don't move. They don't come near him. Why? Well, sheep might be dumb, but their hearing is 20-20. They know their shepherd's voice. They know the voice. See, it's not just the words, it's the voice. So Jesus turns to these very religious people and he tells them that, that they're not hearing his call because they are not his sheep. Then he goes on to say this in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. See, they weren't following the right path. They were not in the right orbit because the Lord was not actually their shepherd. They were not his sheep. Charles Spurgeon said this, The voice of Jesus. Why, there is no music like it. If you have once heard it, you cannot mistake it for another or another for it. So have you heard it? Have you heard the voice of Jesus? Have you heard the music of Jesus? The first verse of the music of Jesus, it, it goes a little bit like this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the first verse. Second verse goes a little bit like this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The chorus sounds a little bit like this. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son. Why? So that whoever believes in him and trusts in him and clings to him and relies on him shall not perish or come to destruction or be lost, but actually they would have eternal, everlasting life. That's a great chorus. But you know what's even better than the chorus is the bridge of the song. Listen to the bridge. Jesus says, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There is absolutely no greater music than the music of the gospel. Have you heard it? Have you heard the voice of Jesus? Do you know it? Do you know this music? If not, then please know this. The, the call of Jesus is ringing through the air, even now, calling out to you, repent, come to me, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Some people are in the wrong orbit because they're not a believer. They're not a, a follower of Jesus. They are not saved. They haven't heard the music. But some people have heard the music. Some people have, have heard the music of the gospel. 
but they still are, are pulling away. They're trying to tug away. They keep hitting reroute on their GPS. They keep trying to find a, a different path, another path. They, they want to do something a, a little different, and they, and they tug away. And the, the more they tug away out of that orbit, the scratchier the station gets, and the music of the gospel begins to fade out, and they can't hear it anymore. But here's what's beautiful about the Lord. His GPS is perfect. It always knows where we need to be. Listen to what King David says next. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. What is righteousness? That sounds like a big theological church word. Well, basically, it's just the concept of of rightness with God. So what David is saying is that the good shepherd does not push us, does not drag us, does not put us in a headlock and, and pull us toward the right path. He guides us. Through his grace, through his mercy, through his love, through his truth, he guides us. He, he leads us to the right path. Now, it may not be the path that we were planning on. It may not be the orbit that we were looking for, but it's the right path and it's the right orbit. It may not be the path that causes people around us to, to, to agree with us or, or to applaud us or to cheer for us or to say that they are happy for us or to say that they're proud of us. But it is the right path. It's the path that keeps us close to the voice of the one who knows where the green pastures are. The voice of the one that knows where the quiet waters are. The voice of the one that knows where the gate of eternal life is. It's the right path because it's the path that keeps us close to the voice that is always whispering into our souls. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from my hand. That's the right path. That's the right orbit. That's the right voice. Years ago, Philip Jensen and Tony Payne put together a great thought about the guidance of God. It goes like this. We need to explore God's character and the way he achieves his plans before we can tackle the nitty-gritty issues we are all so interested in. They go on. If we understand God what he's like, what motivates him, and what his plans are, we will be well on the way to understanding his guidance. So in other words, the key to God's will is knowing God. When I was in seminary, I was listening to a sermon by John MacArthur, and I was, I was exercise walking, not fast walking, because that would look weird if I did it. But I was walking, and, and I was listening to this sermon, and, and in the middle of the sermon, he said, you know, somebody asked me one time, what's the key to knowing God's will? And he said, I told him, know God. And I remember going, is that the answer? Yeah, I guess it is. That is the answer. The key to knowing God's will is knowing God. And that's exactly what Jensen and Payne are saying here. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we explore the character of God? How do we understand God? How do we know his plans? How do we know what motivates him? Well, it starts with some fatherly advice. This is what King Solomon wrote to his sons. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So, fathers, is that what we're really 
teaching our kids. Grandfathers, is that what you're really teaching your grandkids? Are we really teaching them first and most trust in the Lord? First and most, don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on the knowledge of the truth of God. Lean there. Let that be your leaning. Or are we more tempted to teach them to lean on our advice or our rules or our leadership or our experience? When it comes to our kids and our grandkids, is is the song that they usually hear something like this? This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought. Or is the song they hear more like, the record shows I took the blows and I did it my way. What's the message we usually send our kids and our grandkids? The king wrote to his boys and said, boys, don't trust you. (laughs) Don't trust yourself. Don't trust your understanding. Don't lean on that. So what is our understanding? Well, our understanding is is what we know. It's what we've learned. It's what we've been trained in. It's it's what our experience is. It's it's all the things that we kind of generally know in life. So trusting in the Lord doesn't mean that we ignore all of that or that we say all of that's not important. That's not what it means. It just means that we don't lean on it. It means that in the the nitty-gritty of life, we do not lean on what we know to make everything work out. We lean on the Lord. For example, a Christian salesman should not approach a customer thinking something like this. Man, I got this. Man, God, I'm so glad you made me so smart because these people, they're in trouble without me. But you know what? I know what they need. A Christian surgeon should not approach surgery thinking, you know, Lord, I've done this a hundred times. I could do it with my eyes closed. I I got this one, God. Don't, Don't worry about it. A Christian homemaker should not wake up in the morning and go, man, I I am amazing at managing my family and my house. You know, I should start my own business because, you know, God serving my family is just not enough. I need to be compensated. A Christian accountant should not approach a a corporate audit thinking, man, God, numbers are my thing. You know, I mean, I can can literally do this thing in my sleep. You know, God, I I got this one. Don't worry about it. I'm not even going to pray. I got it covered. Now, all of those are ways that we would be leaning on our own understanding. And that's the opposite of what we've been called to do as followers of Jesus. See, the Christian salesman, he should approach the customer thinking and trying to think like this, God, help me do my best so that I can honor you, serve this customer's need, and bless my family. The Christian surgeon should try to approach the surgery saying, God, you created this person and something's not right about their body. And so would you help me to do my best taking care of what you created? The Christian homemaker should wake up in the morning and say, God, I am humbled that you have given me these treasures to care for, my family, my home. And so, God, would you help me to do my best today and even help me to maybe go beyond my home and serving you and and serving others? And the accountant, he should try to approach the corporate audit more like this. God, at the end of the day, every single penny in the universe belongs to you. So help me go now and manage your money 
well. See, that's a, a picture of, of leaning on our own understanding. And it's a picture of leaning on the understanding of the Lord. But notice I said with those last examples, they should try. <laughs> you know, all of those things are easier said than done, right? I mean, in the moment, we are quick to lean on our own understanding. And boy, we are really slow to lean on the understanding of the Lord. But here's the thing. That's what sheep do. A sheep knows the shepherd's voice, knows it, but sometimes the sheep doesn't listen. Or sometimes the sheep is somewhere where it can't hear the shepherd's voice, or sometimes the shepherd isn't talking. And so if the sheep's not listening and not hearing and and nothing's going on, the sheep says, man, I'm I'm a little restless and bored. I want to go do something. And so they begin to, to try to get out of orbit. They begin to try to take their own path. And when they do that, there's a a huge problem. And here's the problem. Sheep don't know where the green pastures are. Sheep don't know where the quiet waters are. Sheep, they don't know where the danger is. And so when they stray, when they get out of orbit, what they're doing is getting on a path of difficulty, of harm, and maybe even death. I read last week that if a sheep wanders 10 yards away from its pasture, it may not make it back. Ten yards. It's such a, such a small area. But they may not make it back. And they can't make it back without the help of the shepherd. They would never make it back without the help of the shepherd. Mike Minnick says this, Tigers have claws, snakes have fangs, bears can crush things, but a sheep is defenseless. Weak eyesight, weak muscles, no sense of direction. The cows wander home. Dogs come home. Ever tried to get rid of a cat? How many cat people we got? Man, I grew up with cats. Some cats don't leave. Man, our cat Oxford, that cat would never leave. It would come back every time. It would wander off two days, but it would be back. Cats come back. Cows come home. Dogs come home. But, Minix writes, sheep don't know how to come home without leadership. They need to be led. They need to be guided. Guess what? So do we. We need to be led. We need to be guided. We won't always admit it, but we do. We, we need the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, he, he desires to lead. He desires to guide. See, we've got to learn to trust in the Lord. We have to learn to lean on his understanding and not our understanding. So how do we do that? How do we explore the character of God? How do we understand him? How how do we know what his plans are? How do we know what motivates him? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. To an unbelieving world, to many in higher education, sadly to far too many professing Christians, Uh, The following statement is going to sound foolish and hokey, but I joyfully proclaim it with the authority of the author, and that's this. The Bible is the Word of God. It is. By God's design, by His choice, He has chosen to use the Bible, the book of books. He's chosen to, to use the Bible 
as his unique way to reveal his glory and his power and his grace and his mercy and his love to the world. It's how he designed it. There is absolutely no substitute for the Bible. So if you want to know the character of God, if you want to know the plans of God, if you want to understand God, if you want to know what motivates him, then turn your attention to the Holy Scriptures. In this day and age, though, some might say, well, why should we trust the Bible? Well, a lot of sermons have been preached in answer to that question. A lot of sermons will be preached in answer to that question. A lot of books have been written in answer to that question. A lot of books will be written in answer to that question. But we can't quote all of those sermons and books here in this moment. So let me just give you three quick thoughts in response to why we should trust the Bible. These are from Greg Gilbert, pastor of Third Avenue Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He writes, If the resurrection happened, then the rest of the fundamental superstructure of Christianity comes together like clockwork, including the authority of the Bible, both New Testament and Old, and if it didn't happen, then never mind any of it. (laughs) He's right. If there's no resurrection, all that we've done today is a lie. It is a fairy tale, it is a myth, it is a legend, and we are all wasting our time with a nice civic club. But see, the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ defines all of Christianity, affirms all of Christianity. Gilbert goes on to say this, In the end, therefore, the answer a Christian will give to the question, why do you believe the Bible, is this. Because King Jesus, the resurrected, endorsed the Old Testament and authorized the new. (laughs) Try that at Starbucks this week, right? Hey, so why do you believe the Bible? Because King Jesus, the resurrected one, has given authority to the New Testament and has affirmed the Old Testament. That's why. See, everything comes back to the resurrection. Everything comes back to Jesus. Gilbert goes on to say this. That is not a presupposition. It is not an unthinking, close your eyes and jump leap of faith. It is a considered conclusion built from a careful argument. In other words, the careful argument is look at the resurrection of Jesus, and then all of a sudden everything begins to come together. It's why we want to point your attention to Jesus Christ week in and week out. Because the answers are always in him. Why? Because he is the voice of his sheep. And his sheep recognize his voice. If you want to know God's character, if you want to know his plans, if you want to understand him, if you want to know what motivates him, then turn your attention to the Bible. And if you know today that you're tugging away from God, and you know it, we all know when we're doing it, that you're tugging away from God, that you're, you're trying for whatever reasons, uh, pride, arrogance, apathy, if you're trying to get off of the right path, then, then we would plead with you, turn your attention and your affections to God's word today and tomorrow and the next day, and, and don't walk away from it. I was so encouraged Recently, I had to meet with one of our church members, and they got there before I did. And, and when I walked up to the table, they, they had their Bible open and, and was reading, you know, before I arrived. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that ended up being a waste of time for that person? Or do you think it was something that filled their soul? I would say it filled their soul because they blessed the food 
and it was an amazing blessing. <laughs> yeah, I want to encourage you that, that these things we speak of are, are not just fluffy Sunday morning stuff. We want your soul to be happy. We want your soul to be satisfied. We want your soul to be saved. And God's word directs you to his truth and directs you to the person of Jesus. See, the Lord is a good God. He's a good shepherd. He's a good guide. And it's his plan, his design to lead you on the right path by his truth. His right path by his truth. And why would he do that? Why would God waste time trying to guide you this afternoon? Why would God waste time trying to encourage you tomorrow afternoon? Why would God waste time trying to guide you next Thursday night? Listen to the last thing King David writes here. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name. This is super fantastic. When we're trying to tug away from him, when we're trying to tug away from his truth, when we're trying to get out of orbit, when we're doing the wrong thing, God is always right. He's always good. He's always faithful. He doesn't change because he is faithful to support and honor his name. It's his name. See, the the gravitational pull of the glory of God on our lives makes sure that his name and his fame and his glory are seen in us and through us and around us. But why should we care? What does the glory of God and his name have to do with with my life, you know, Monday night? What does the glory and the name and the fame of God have to do with my life at work or, or school or camp or anywhere else that I go? Why does it matter? What is the the glory of God, his name, his fame? Why is it that those things are the primary and most important good for my life? Why? Why is it that God's name and his fame and his glory matter to the orbit of my life? Or maybe let's be even more specific. Dads, why does the glory and the fame and the name of God matter in your life on this Father's Day? I will never tire of hearing these words from John Gerardo. He was a pastor in Charleston, South Carolina around the mid-1800s. This is what he said. I think this was the close of a service. Look up. God, your Redeemer and Deliverer reigns. Suns and systems of light are but the sparkling dust beneath his feet. Infinite Empire is in his grasp. Let me translate. God was the first and greatest astrophysicist. And unlike me and unlike you and unlike Paul and Anna, God did plan it and God does plan it and God will plan it. It's who he is. Gerardo goes on. See? See, he comes riding upon the wings of the whirlwind, wielding his glittering sword, bathed in the radiance of heaven. He's driving his foes like chaff before his face. He's hastening to the help of his saints with resources of boundless power and unlimited grace. See, see, he sits on yonder throne. Is that God your 
shepherd. Because that's God. That's who he is. Is he your shepherd? If so, then please know that the gravitational pull of his glory can lead you on the right path for his name and for your good. And the glory of God and the power of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and the love of God are the greatest realities in the universe. So since that's true, since all of those things about his character are true, let us not tug away from his orbit. Let us love letting the good shepherd guide us on his path.